1: as always this episode of the wire strip podcast is dedicated to our key headline patron sponsors on the hamsterdam level uh, if you want to join me you can go to patreon.com forward slash the wire and you can join them there they are andrew brooks kenyatta mckinley craig dunphy claire bailey calvin bishop rachel bolton stian gelseth dominic tollen simon louis paul simons richard noel donald Dea, eric vice martin mangan Morgan Tanji, Anders Eriksson, Russell Mart, Steve Toes, Paul Wallace, and Patrick Birch. Thank you so much. As we say, if you want to join those guys and get your names read out, uh, as well as a host of other benefits, go to patreon.com forward slash The Wire Stripped.
2: The title of episode 12, Mission Accomplished, might seem at face value like an innocuous, if ironic, reference to the collapse of Amsterdam. But in 2005, the allusion was much more pointed. The same allusion was made the very same year in the Fox series Arrested Development, when Joe Bluth gave a speech in front of a banner bearing the same pronouncement, Mission Accomplished. The banner was a satire of US President George W. Bush's May 2003 speech aboard the aircraft carrier USS Abraham Lincoln, just two months into the six-year Iraq War. You may be asking yourself, what does season three of The Wire have to do with the Iraq War? Quite a lot, as it turns out.
1: Hey everyone, I'm Kobe, and I'm Dave, and you're listening to the Wire Strips. We are the podcast that goes through each episode of the Wire one by one.
3: That's right, and you don't just hear from us schmucks. uh, You'll also hear from the people that made the Wire and the people that loved the Wire, and uh, Uh, and your voices as well. You guys are in there.
1: Yeah, I didn't realize I was a schmuck until now. You bastard.
3: I'm I'm Um, afraid that you are the biggest schmuck. second only to me
1: (laughs) Um, guys love to hear from you and as Dave says if you want to be heard on this episode uh, contact us Um, there's details about how to join our our burner messages uh, but also you can email us producers at thewirestrip.com and please do follow us on instagram and twitter at thewirestrip and also there is a wirestripped facebook group so there's a lot happening there come and join the fun
3: yeah it's a lot of fun Uh, so anyway on with our chat about the season finale of season three it's episode 12 Mission Accomplished.
4: When you walk through the garden You gotta watch your back Well, I beg your pardon Walk the straight and narrow track
5: When you walk with Jesus He's gonna save your soul Just gotta keep
3: the devil way down in the hole he got the fire
1: and the fuel hey guys we are um are the crime scene
3: yes stringer we're standing over stringer's body
1: <laughs> it's a bit grim isn't it this is very grim
3: <laughs> why did we decide to start the podcast in this location yeah i'm sorry guys that's a bit um
1: yeah that's not the, it's not a happy start to a pod <laughs>
3: no but then this is not a happy uh happy start to the episode no uh, no so we get um Stringer Bell's crime scene. We've got Bunk and Holly outside yeah. can- canvassing the the neighborhood or whatever, talking to talking to the sole
1: witness. Yeah, Andrew Andrew Krawcheck, Krawcheck, um who can't identify whoever shot at
3: him. No, he um, can't identify the two most distinctive people <laughs> in this city. No, Omar's like he's wearing an, A-team t-shirt. Yeah, an A team T shirt. Yeah, must
1: be must be like six foot ten.
3: Yeah, he's got a huge <laughs> scar on his face, and the other dude is. Wearing a bow tie and prim glasses.
1: Yeah. Those two don't, um, those two don't hang out together normally. You don't see that kind of thing together. So you would <laughs> No, exactly. Yeah.
3: They, they are the most distinctive, odd looking couple you could imagine. And all he can do is black guy, big gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's, yeah, you know, they, they kind of play it for a gag, don't they? Holly and, uh, and Bunker. Bunk yeah. What is it? The BNBG,
1: B- N- B- big negro, big gun. Yeah.
3: Um, kind of just a nod to the, the casual racial
1: profiling of the, what the is criminal it, yeah. witnesses. <laughs> um, but we have here, like, McNulty skulks in, I guess. He he obviously finds out on the wind that the string is down. Mm-hmm. And he has to come and see for himself. And
3: this is a sad moment. Yeah. Sad McNulty. <laughs> did, did you feel sorry for him? <laughs> I don't know. Good question. I... I don't think so, because this is like, when you look at him, like like how deflated he is, mm. he's taking it really personally. And it's like a few episodes ago when... Freeman kind of, him and Freeman had that big shouting yeah. match and it was like, it's all about McNulty and it's yeah. all about his personal vendetta. And Freeman was like, that's not our case. Yeah. It's just been, he's had this tunnel vision about Stringer Bell this whole time to his own detriment. Mm. And now that, he you know, vi- that personal victory was snatched from his clutches
1: by fate. He's
3: kind of left with nothing
1: and deservedly so. And I love that where yeah, in, that, in that scene where you're talking that you're referring to, Freeman says, a good case ends. Yes. What does it all yeah. mean, Jimmy? What does it all mean? And this uh, maybe we'll, we'll jump ahead to his evaluation of that because he meets with B.D. Russell. And yeah. he kind of, maybe he's thinking, maybe this does mean, maybe I should reevaluate what I'm, what I'm doing in my life because maybe the love of a good woman or companionship is what I actually need
3: yeah i agree and in that in that moment we see a step change from mcnulty Mm. because you get the do you want to come in for a drink bracket sex yeah uh no i or i would like to come in but i want to meet your kids yeah and i mean that like that if that's not a statement of intent from serial philanderer mcnulty then i don't know what what it is and yeah yeah, this whole at least in his
6: mind
1: (laughs) well
3: exactly let's see how far he gets
6: go back to the very first episode of series three and um, he goes, he can't get away from me again. Not us,
1: me. This is the voice of Andy Brassel, who is one of the hosts of the Football Ramble and on the Continent podcast and is a huge fan of The Wire.
6: And um, when he's sitting next to Bunk, when String has been shot and Kima's on the other side and Bunk comes and sits next to him and lights up a cigar, because what else can you do in that moment? Um, he starts to speak about it. And he goes to bunk. McNulty goes to bunk. He goes, I had him. I had him. And he didn't even know about it. And that's so in contrast to the moment where they get him on the wiretap in the previous episode, just before Stringer's uh, actually killed. And, um, you know, it's, it's one of those rare moments where everything's going right for the police. And they're like, yes, we got him. And they're all hugging. And Lester and... McNulty, you've fallen out really badly, really badly earlier in the series. They have a, a, a hug that's, yes, we've got through this together. He even has a handshake with Daniels, which is, you know, the equivalent of a hug, really. And and yet, before you know it, in the next episode, it's all about him again. He's so self-pitying.
0: He, he's robbed of, of that sort of personal joy and is at a loss.
1: This is the voice of Dr. Russell Mowat who is a professor at Indiana University and actually
0: teaches a course about The Wire. You know, of course, it speaks to later on what we see at the end of the episode where, you know, he um, sort of ends his time with the major crimes unit. So, he, you know, as if, you know, um, drugs aren't really still existing, you know, in Baltimore or something like that or there's not another drug. Um, you know, crew uh, working in uh, in another part of the city. Uh, McNulty cannot be um, our hero, right, who shines because no one on the show truly is a hero and no one truly is quite a villain, right, in in most respects. And I think this was just another great example of um, checking the audience, you know, and putting the audience back into their place of this is not a McNulty show. This is not a McNulty crime drama, right? This is about something else bigger.
7: I love McNulty. I think you're meant to love McNulty and you're also meant to roll your eyes at him and just kind of despair of him.
1: This is film and TV journalist and author of the book Women vs. Hollywood, Helen O'Hara.
7: And and I feel like that's sort of the right response. Like he's, he's like a dog with a bone when he gets a case, like he just wants to go after it. He doesn't want to stop for any niceties. Um, he wants to kind of solve the mystery. He's, he's there's something kind of little boyish about him in his sort of it's not idealism, he's not idealistic, but, but there's a sort of purity to his self appointed missions.
3: Stringer's death is liberating for him, isn't yeah. it? He's free, yeah, true. and and he is ha- happy. You know, we just said Sag McNulty, he ends this episode
1: with a smile on his face. A good place, yeah, he's there, sat next to Sant'Angelo, yeah. he's back in the western. Swinging uh, his his truncheon punching, around, yeah. <laughs> yeah, speaking to people on the, uh, laughing with people on the stoops, yeah, um, yeah, it's and it's a,
3: it's, it's, lo- it's lovely. It's a happy ending yeah. from
1: McNulty. I remember earlier on in the season we saw Santangelo carting around, you know, in driving in a van. It was just like, yeah, I mean, you know, we get the same pay, no stress, yeah. And I was like, well, i I'm I want your job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um but obviously McNaughton wanted a bit more and he's and now he hasn't got that thing to hook onto, he hasn't got that, mm. that laser dot to focus onto.
3: Well he, he was an he's an addict in many ways, yeah. isn't he? And it's like this is the him admitting to himself he has a problem and stepping out into like a twelve step programme in, in ways.
1: Um I do love that scene where he does where they go into Stringer's apartment, and we've we've str- we've seen Stringer over the past three seasons, and so I'm not sure we've seen his apartment explicitly, but we I'm not surprised that this is Stringer's place. Um yeah. But they are like we have no idea who this guy is. What what the hell is this? And it pulls out that book. Um, yeah. What was the book? The Wealth of Nations.
3: Yeah, 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 yeah. And I mean, you're right. Like we know Stringer, but they only know him as a target or yeah. a picture on their board. Yeah. Um. This is yeah. This is who 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 was I chasing? Is what McNulty <laughs> says. I love I love that line. What did you think of Stringer's apartment? Um, bachelor pad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It's like a tacky. It's like if a if, uh, a young footballer who who has too much money yeah. and buys samurai swords. I know what what what's <laughs> yeah. that's
1: only going to cause trouble. <laughs> it's you get a load of drunk guys about this. Only going to cause trouble. Exactly.
3: Yeah, McNulty's not the only one who's upset about Stringer Bell's death, though. His mum, maybe? I guess his mum was probably upset, whatever <laughs> she is. Uh, she's weeping somewhere off screen, perhaps. Yeah, we, we Mrs. Bell. Bell. No, we haven't. We've not
1: we haven't seen Mrs. Bell. No, We haven't seen many of their extended family.
3: <laughs> the Bell family. I, I'm waiting for that spinoff. <laughs> Didn't, uh, Thanksgiving with the Bells. Um, no, Avon is, we we see in the funeral parlor. Yeah. In mourning, uh, very appropriately in the funeral well, parlour. Well,
1: good. Yeah, I mean, he's grown up with the guy. Yes. So, uh, but,
3: uh, <laughs> yeah, he did this reluctantly, didn't
1: he? Yeah. I mean, he, he gave him up. He basically executed his friend reluctantly. Yeah, A reluctant. I mean, uh, okay. well, when
3: you put it like that, I'm losing sympathy <laughs> for the man. But uh, <laughs> but he's um, he's he's very quiet in this when we first meet him yeah. compared to the bedlam. Just outside the door, as they all try to mobilize for a war and a retaliation with Stanfield.
1: Yeah, you got, you got the, you got, I guess, three main reactions. They have the quiet contemplation and, like, oh, I've lost my best mate. Everyone, the second is people on the inside wanting just to mount up and retaliate against uh, Marlowe, who they perceive as their main foe and the reason that the String is dead. And then there's the other people, such as Bodhi, who are almost like beside themselves and not, they don't have a clue what this means anymore. This is a new world order.
4: Yeah.
3: Yeah. This, it's like losing your, a f- well, a mentor in a way hmm. for him and yeah. a boss. Like a sadistic mentor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they had a very love hate relationship, those too. <laughs> but yeah, it's a huge disruption. Yeah. and And it's a reminder that any one of them could die yeah. at any time. I mean
1: this this if, if Stringer is perceivably the guy at the top of the is the top of the top of the Ivory Castle looking down he comes down says hello goes back up there and if he got got then yeah. everyone else can get got.
6: I don't know maybe maybe this is me projecting back because I'm, I'm aware of the time when it was made but but it is it's is very Iraq war actually isn't it that the bit where Slim Charles goes to him look now we're in the war we're in it and we've got to finish it. So you've, you've got to go and finish off Marlow. And he says, look, if it was all built on a lie, the thing is now we've got to go with that lie because we're too far along. And it's, it's hard to watch that and not think about the, the whole WMD thing. The retaliation
1: is real. And this is, you know, being in that game, logistically in their minds, Marlow and his crew are the only people that can get Stringer they're the only people that have the means. So it kind of does make sense. Yeah. Although Avon, obviously Avon knows that it wasn't Marlowe, yeah. but at the same time he's like, Hey, you know, I lost my friend, but hold on, I can, I can kill this guy. He's giving me all the shit.
3: There's a logic to it. Yeah. You can see why they all think it's part of the war. Yeah. And it's, you know, uh, listening to the DVD commentary with David Simon, he points out that, well, this is a war we know between the Barksdale's and, Mar- and Marlowe. Uh, but, David Simon intended it for it to be an analogy for the war in Iraq at right. the time uh, which kind of alludes to the epigraph from Slim Charles which is we fight on that lie you know, yeah. that's that little speech he has and and that war was founded on a lie yeah. as we found out later
2: season three opens with two towers collapsing and the denizens of West Baltimore being coated in the ensuing dust cloud
3: this is podcaster and wire expert Joe Kylie.
2: The symbolism is as deliberate as it is obvious. Bubbles says it best. Westside's about to be all Baghdad. Luckily for Bubbs, there's a greater chance of locating WMDs in the open-air drug market than in Bush's Gulf War Part 2. Lieutenant Dennis Mello, played by the real Jay landsman, closes his squad briefings with Don't Get Captured, which, though partly in jest, illustrates the military mindset of the Western District. So, the cops view themselves as soldiers. The drug crews, obviously. Johnny Weeks calls Hamsterdam a soldier's paradise. Carcetti's rhetoric, even Dennis Wise, himself honorably discharged by Avon, affectionately calls Spider a soldier. Bunny Colvin knows what's up. I mean, you call some a war, and pretty soon everybody gonna be running around acting like warriors
8: they gonna be running around on a damn crusade, storming corners, slapping on cuffs, racking up body counts. And when you're at war, you need a fucking enemy. And pretty soon, damn near everybody on every corner is your fucking enemy. And soon the neighborhood that you're supposed to be policing, that's just occupied territory. You follow this?
4: I think so.
2: Yet he makes the same mistake the US military does when he deposes the previous regime with no long-term plan for sustaining or even exiting the region when mcnulty with assistance from the fbi falsifies court documents to justify an invasion he cuts corners in the same way the us and its allies used discredited intelligence to justify invading iraq the devastating truth comes from slim charles
0: don't matter who did what to who at this point. Fact is, we went to war, and now there ain't no going back. I mean, shit, it's what war is, you know. Once you in it, you in it. If it's a lie, then we fight on that lie. But we gotta fight.
2: David Simon confirms the connection on the commentary track of this very episode. The entire Barksdale war plot is a parable for the misadventure that was the Iraq War. So why draw this link between West Baltimore and Iraq? Between the war on drugs and the war on terror? To point out the absurdity of both. The drug trade and terrorism are symptoms of larger systemic issues, and when you waste resources fighting a symptom, the real problems go unexamined, creating an endless feedback loop with no escape. The result is a society more brutal, more racist, and more unjust than it was before the war began. To quote David Simon, What began as a war against dangerous narcotics has ultimately become a war against our own underclass. End quote. The wire does not offer neat solutions. It merely shows us the nature and extent of the problems each of us must face up to and fix.
1: Building up from uh, what we see with the Bartsdale crew, we see them mounting up to attack Marlowe and their kingpin enemy. But what they don't know is that Stringer had fest- had given given the details to to their den, to their lair, to the hideout, and all the MCU guys are actually listening in. They know what's going to happen. They know yeah. they're, they're in there. They know they're in there with all the guns. They know they're in there with the intent to to strike out. And. That's gotta give McNulty at least some kind of I don't know, joy or glee or I don't know
3: Yeah, I guess it's some it's some kind of resolution for yeah. him, isn't it? And he get and so yeah, he get they get handed a silver bullet and then they get the most opportune moment to fire yeah. it and they take it. And yeah, McNulty does get a satisfaction out of it because he gets that drop the mic moment of showing <laughs> Avon the the line from the um from the, the warrant. Who dubbed you in, buddy? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If
1: I was him, I would definitely would have got like a, a glitter pen circled <laughs> a circled round. Just in case you <laughs> missed that. Ooh. I know, because he found it like he found it was way down that page. It
3: was, it wasn't that obvious. No. <laughs> it was like he's probably gotta go through like it's two like, paragraphs of bullshit. Is that one we're looking at here? I'd love yeah, I'd love if they'd labored that scene a bit more. <laughs> I'm sorry, what oh and then and then he's like, No, I wait, it's not that page. Hang on, it's page four, paragraph two. Yeah, below that. Yeah, look, it was Stringer Bell, all right. It was your, fr- it was your friend.
1: <laughs> but that's what McNulty was like in the in the MCU when he's trying to get the probable cause to get the warrant. He was trying to explain, "I've got this tip off from this yeah. guy. Um, I can't remember if his name's Bunny at the moment, but he's like, I've got this tip off, and you know, it's, I think it's tight. So I think we need to go in there." And Daniels and everyone else are like, uh, "I mean, you are McNulty, so you are a liability." As well. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> okay the string of bell the string of bell he told us where where, the, <laughs> yeah, where yeah, they yeah. are and they're like fuck let's do this his frustrations kick yeah. in quickly don't they so he, he he just feels a need to come back he feels he feels a need to like and if i can't get if i can't get bell i need to get everyone else and bring the house down yeah. as much as possible
3: how do you how do you feel about his decision to use the man's name after he
1: died i think it's i mean i don't really feel either way about it but i think it's a means to an end for McNulty. Yeah, he wants to get that result, and it's not the most yeah. moralistic way. Um, and, and we see that most evidently with the most moral cop, the most uh, moral guiding vine, vein in in the show from the cops, at least, is, is Bunny Colvin.
3: Oh yeah, who chews him out for this decision yeah, later, exactly. right? Yeah, you,
1: you always did cut corners. Yeah, exactly. Say. Yeah. So if Bunny's not happy, this guy's trying to legalize drugs, so he's got that. Yeah, he's like, okay, drugs aren't good, but also everything else around drugs is is worse yep. so that by mark by my moral compass if i legalize drugs less than everything else that's good but mcnulty cuts in the corner by putting Stringer bells name on that affidavit yeah it's still bad i like that mcnulty throws it
3: right back in his face though it does, yeah. it's like it takes one to know one <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> aren't you standing here <laughs> demoted on it? it's like it's it, and i and i love that sort of begrudging smile that he gives back to acknowledgement it. yeah yeah it's yeah.
1: like I know, I know, but also, dude, stop it. Yeah.
3: Right, we have a, a small little check-in as a sort of a, an epilogue to um, Stringer's death. We check in with Omar and Brother Muzon yeah. in the aftermath of the death. And we get this little scene in the ho- in the motel room where they're turning Dante back over to Omar, a bloody and bruised Dante.
1: And it's quite, intru- it's quite nice how Dante says, look, I, I did my best. But he um,
3: still did give him up. Yeah. Right? And I think but there's then, a moment between these two like things are never going to be the same.
1: Do you feel that? You, I think... I feel Omar doesn't begrudge him that much because he would have... He doesn't... I think he's got respect because he has got respect for Brother Mizone and even though he doesn't maybe agree with Brother Mizone's tactics he knew what he wanted to get done and ultimately to, together they've, they've achieved this, I don't know, greater good, greater evil, greater thing that Omar wouldn't have been able to do by himself but still... So I don't think he will begrudge Dante that much. He's probably bit just sorry that he had to be beaten up in that way to get to this end.
3: Yeah. I I mean, I got the sense he was disappointed that Dante had given him up mm. at all. A, that's a betrayal of sorts yeah. in, in Omar's world, I think. I think they're going to be okay because I think he's just disappointed. You know, he very much says like, like a, like a, angry, like a partner would. Yeah, it's just like, <laughs> let, let's go. Let's go home. Um... But yeah, you're right about like the begrudging mutual respect between Omar and Brother Mazon. And then we get that again when Brother Mazon hands him the weapon to dispose of, which is It's not Is huge that what it
1: was? I, was I, I wasn't so sure. Initially, I thought he said, you know, go and kill Dante. Here's my gun. Uh, but... That-
3: <laughs> Take care.
1: Yeah. Take care of all the
3: loose ends. <laughs> you need to murder your own boyfriend. That's <laughs> the only way out of this.
1: So is that what it was then? Yeah.
3: That's how I read it. Sure. I think he's... Uh, yeah, he's disposing
1: of the, the murder weapon. Yeah, which uh, is a big...
3: Because we, we get that scene later in the aft in this sort of tie-up of this episode. Oh, uh, true, of, true.
1: Of tossing the gun away. Tossing
3: the gun away, yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, that's a big... Um, big thing to do, right?
3: Yeah. Yeah, to hand, that, that's handing over your face. But I think because these two guys operate on a code, it's the same code, they recognise it in each other, and yeah. they know... Brother Muzon knows he can trust Omar to do that job, and also knows that there's nothing in his interest... To rat him out? No, no, absolutely.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I think there's. I do love that. Even though they've had very little screen time together, the the power and import of it is like phenomenal. It's crazy. Yeah. So for me, one of the main reasons I was super excited to rewatch this episode, this uh, this season is is the whole kind of Amsterdam storyline, and how it all kind of comes to a pass is is really gutting because, again, I don't know if you remember me saying this at the start of recording the season this is the first time a tv series had really impacted how i've fundamentally thought about something like this hmm. before going into this i was like oh drugs are bad get get all bad people who in drugs mr in- Mackey. yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> Drugs bad put them in, in jail and then when this kind of blink was taken away from my eyes by via david simon by bunny colvin and you kind of see that oh shit there is a different way and it's if you work it out how to do it which bunny didn't do, but if you, if you can work out how to do it, yeah, it's, it's the results gonna be better. Um, so to see all Hamstam kind of falling apart for me is actually is, is really gutting. Uh, yeah,
3: and I I agree. I think it's like that's what the show is is doing, isn't it? It's saying they're. There might be another way, or mm-hmm. it's highlighting the fact that these other ways aren't being even being discussed. Yeah, because Royce, when it gets to the top, when it gets to Mayor Royce, the news that this happened, this improbable, mad experiment that somehow got kept under wraps and was allowed to flourish, when he gets to him in the best possible way, it could be the best. This, in many ways, as ugly as it was, it's the best possible version of this idea yeah. in this setting. And there's good that comes with that, as we discussed in the last episode. You know, there's um, people checking themselves into rehab mm-hmm. voluntarily. They're clean needles, condoms. Everything. Crimes
1: going down. Exactly. Yeah. So there's
3: benefits to this, and even what. So when it gets to the top, even even the mayor of Baltimore looks at that and says, "There's something in this," yeah. and he's considering it. But then the stark reality in this episode, when you get when the journalists arrive and the reporters come, it's game over because. And you see it on Royce's face as he's watching that news coverage and he says, what was I thinking? Because the system won't allow for that because drugs are bad, as you said. And there's a war on drugs. And there has been since the 80s with Ronald and Nancy. Yeah. And uh, that's how it is. And you fight it with zero tolerance. And, this, and and we get that we we get that hammered home in this episode when Royce gets his visit from his federal money bank man, <laughs> who's basically like, "We will shut you down." It's it's like there's a zero tolerance on uh, anything outside of zero tolerance. It's it's just not an acceptable way to do business. And yeah, I think the genius of this season is that it reached across. An ocean to you yeah. with a different idea and like change your perception on a subject. And that's the wire at its best. Yes, isn't absolutely. It? it doesn't give you the answers. If anything, it showed us that doesn't really work either. Because no. it failed. But it's at least exploring solutions
1: and having a dialogue. Yeah, not just throwing money, throwing SWAT teams, throwing people in jail. I
8: think that's the, the whole thing about reform that Bunny was representing.
3: We got to speak to the absolute legend and gentleman that is Robert Wisdom, the man that brought Bunny Colvin to life.
8: It's so resisted uh, by everyone, whether they can see the be- benefit or not. Um, and most of the time, people can't imagine the benefit. They'd rather st- stay in squalor. They'd rather stay under under somebody's heel. They'd rather uh, uh, stay where the money keeps flowing to their pockets and their comfort zones. You know, all of that, you know, and um, all of that keeps things the same, you know, even though they say, you know, there's change and there's no real change. And this guy was trying to introduce some real change. And uh, that boat was just too big to rock, you know, And, and that's when it started
4: coming down. What you saw was that, you know, there's always vested interest that don't want us to succeed. This is Professor David Nutt. He's a neuropsychopharmacologist, which means he knows all about how drugs affect the body. But most importantly, he's a huge fan of The Wire. And some of them are the media, and they actually, you know, they carry quite a lot of... Responsibility for some of the, the most difficult problems we have with drugs in this country because so, so much of the media are they hate people that take drugs and they don't they would I think some of them would rather they were dead than actually being in treatment or being helped.
1: But this is I mean, there's kind of two ways to go from this um, Amsterdam storyline to two more kind of threads to pull on. As we see, this is Burrell and Rawls that really brought this down. They was like they were just angry. That things are happening in a way that they couldn't contain or couldn't understand they weren't privy to the conversations that royce was having or probably wouldn't care yeah. But Rell was concerned that he's going to lose his job
3: i, th- I think that's all either of them
1: cared about. yeah they're just worried about their own skins and careers yeah yeah so that's that's how this whole kind of house cards fell tumbling down um and of course that, that instigated Rolls and in, in super mcrolson to
3: ride of the valkyries well, yeah, was, yeah, yeah there were helicopters there weren't there uh, I don't not, remember not, Pro- probably not, not gunship not, not the apocalypse now one no. <laughs> but, but I mean it, it's the next best thing yeah. this is for all in his element isn't it he? He, he is that uh, general uh, whatever he's called from apocalypse now he's just like
1: but he, and he knew how to play the cameras there because we see yeah. he knew how to kind of ride in and skid in and like save all the days and you know get everyone in handcuffs but he also knew that when they saw Johnny Weeks who I'm sure he doesn't know who that, that, that dead guy was ...was to hold them back so the cameras didn't see them. Yeah. So he's he's playing his game.
3: There's a brutal efficiency in yeah. what Rawls did. He dismantled the whole thing overnight. Yeah. Uh, which, which is on one hand is just this very impressive feat of logistical uh, work. And on the other hand is very tragic to watch something that was... the ...like built up over such a long time mm. by Bonnie Colvin... ...and then to end the season in the episode him literally standing over the rubble of his idea is just so uh tragic it it hurts it's
1: super heartbreaking
3: yeah the only interesting thing that i
2: think happened involving wardrobe was the last episode i was in
1: this is the voice of johnny weeks played by leo fitzpatrick
2: if you watch enough of the show you'll realize i start wearing hats a lot and I always kind of wear hats and in my real life I always wear hats and it just sort of became a way to tame my hair because it would always be a different color or shaved or long so it was like oh let's just throw them in a hat so when I showed up for the last episode I said hey where's my hat And they said well you're not gonna need a hat if you're dead and that's how I found out I died
5: my girl's soup would say deserve ain't got nothing to do with it it was just his time that's all but in all seriousness stringers demise was evident the moment brother muzone found out that he was the one who fed omar with the false info about Brandon's death you know which almost led to muzone dying uh couple of that with the fact that he was the he was a mastermind behind the cold murders of d'angelo and wallace Two characters who were rather lovable and had a conscience in that cold world they inhabited. So with taking all that into consideration, Stringer, he just, he had to go. I love String, man, but he'd crossed too many people at that point.
2: Hi, this is Rachel Bolton. This is a really tough one, but looking at it through the lens of the game, I think Strainer did deserve to die. He reminds me of the Greek myth about Icarus. He knew what the rules were ahead of time, and he still flew too close to the sun. D'Angelo said it best in season two when they were discussing the great Gatsby in his book group. D'Angelo says, Gatsby, he was who he was, and he did what he did, and because he wasn't ready to get real with the story, that shit caught up to him.
5: Yo, good morning. It's your boy, Steve, AKA Watosa. So the answer to your question is yes. Unfortunately, Stringer Bell had to die. Um, His whole rule was anyone who's who's snitching, they gotta go in every sense of the word. And he did it to D'Angelo and he did it himself. He snitched himself. He did go to Bunny and he did give Bunny the information. He told him where to find uh, uh, where to find Avon's steakhouse and where all the weapons and he told him what he was gonna find there. He told him he was gonna find weapons, he told them they were gonna be armed, he told him they were getting ready for a throwdown, and he did it right before they were gonna go get Marlo. So he knew every he knew where everyone was gonna be, and he was basically willing to take uh, Avon down to keep this thing going. So yeah, he he snitched. Just like everybody else that he had killed, he snitched. And so as a result, by his own rule, he had to go. He didn't make an exception for D'Angelo. He didn't make an exception, and I'm sure he wanted an exception for himself, but according to the rules of the game, he didn't deserve it. So, as painful as it was, Stringer had to go.
3: Right, thank you very much for that burner message. Now, we are at the end of the season, but our burner phone as is staying on. So if you do uh, want to leave us some messages in between season three and four, mm-hmm. uh, then please do, uh, and we can pick out some of the best ones uh, for uh, next season. Uh, to do that, just head to our social accounts at uh, The Wire Stripped on uh, Twitter and Instagram, and uh, the details are in the bio there for the, the phone number. Or you could just email us a voice message to burner at TheWireStripped.com. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah and in the meantime we will be keeping our Patreon running as well and there will be rewards, we will be putting out um, episodes there at least on a monthly basis to people who supporting us there. You get other rewards as well um, such as prior to Burner Access so do send us burning messages and you guys will get priority access when we start season 4 again which should be hopefully sooner rather than later
3: <laughs> sooner than the last wait sorry about sooner that than the last uh, last, last, last. Uh, we had a lot a lot Certainly. of kids were being born during that period um and and also over on that patreon uh you know you're going to you, we'll still continue to drop our full length interviews uh mm-hmm. with the cast and crew so that f- content will be coming through and as we get more interviews lined up we'll give uh, our our patrons over there access to submit questions to uh, the cast and crew of The Wire as we interview them
1: and don't forget you do support the Ella Thompson Fund all of the money goes to supporting the Ella Thompson Fund none of it goes into myself or Dave or Tom's pockets It's all of it goes towards the Ella Thompson Fund so it really is um, great if you can continue supporting us in the in the off season um, as a reminder this is a charity that is supported by the cast and the crew of The Wire
3: yeah and it's an amazing charity they, uh, they help to provide recreational opportunities uh, to children in Baltimore who who need it most. So even if you don't want to support our, our Patreon, it's well worth your time. Check out the Ella Thompson Fund.
1: At this point, just want to take a quick moment to shout out to our newest members uh, on the co-op level on our Patreon. They are Martin Haugen, Kenyatta McKinley, and Joshua E. Johnson. Thank you very much, guys. It's super appreciated. And to anyone else who's listening, if you want to join these guys and get your names right out in the middle, go to patreon.com forward slash the wirestripped. And all of the money, that's all of the money, goes to the Ella Thompson Fund. And we had... Um, there's a few glances, little glances at which I kind of get me and it's Herc and his Caliccio and there's the knobhead side of the, the police that weren't on, on Bunny's side kind yeah, of how like delighted giving, yeah, they were high fives and yeah, yeah. Um, I hated that but then we have in and amongst it is the well you have the nice kind of touch that, that Bubbles and Bunny have at the end and seeing kind of surveying what could have been yeah because as as far as we know, bubbles is actually doing quite well at this. I'm not sure he's using, it, if at all, or that much.
3: Yeah, it's hard to tell. He certainly makes selling a lot of t-shirts. Yeah, he is. <laughs> <laughs> I think business is good. He's got, a,
1: he's got a protege. <laughs> yeah, the protege thinks he's brown, but he's actually green. But you know, and, and which is a nice echo for Johnny Weeks. Johnny Weeks
3: and how that all started. Yeah. But that's an indication that it's all so cyclical, isn't it? Yeah.
1: Right we if you if don't and this is what they're trying to they're trying to break the cycle but the the, the cycles I don't know the, yeah. there's too much velocity behind it there's too much mass behind it to stop the cycle and break it
3: um, and that's what the end montage of this season and most of the end of season montages do it's just a stark reminder that
1: reset almost Control-out exactly deletes. yeah, it's,
3: yeah. A, it's we're back to, we're back to the beginning everyone's out there busting heads it's it's hark doing a drive- by and he yeah. sees fruit and they give a begrudging look at it's like it's just business as usual
1: i i I always feel so gutted about bunny and him losing his majorship because he just he just tried like i said he's he's the he's the moral vein in the police force in the western yeah no one has anything bad to say about him and And he's punished and he's punished hard in a very harsh way yeah he had enough. He could have just taken holiday and and ridden out his majorship, but they're like, no, 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 sunny boy, you sit down. Yeah, we're yeah, yeah, yeah. you to to to. We're we're gonna fuck you so hard. Um, that scene is so hard
3: to watch. Mm. Him, but I like that the scene, um, the scene before when he gets the dress down publicly, he's still fighting for his men up to the, to mm. the bitter end, you know, and they know that, and yeah. then Rawls and Burrell, the bastards, use it against him. Yeah. To just humiliate him further and they're making him the scapegoat to protect their own asses. Yeah. It's really pathetic. Um But what I loved was they deliberately made gave him the say give Bunny the same thing to say that Stringer says, his final words, get on with it, motherfucker. <laughs> because they're both nice. facing yeah. their execution yeah yeah well david simon said that was very deliberate because they're they're the two like i said in the last episode i see them as the two protagonists of this season they had that big meeting in the last episode yeah they're the the guys in the middle trying to find that middle ground yeah um and they both got got done by the get by the game and by the system because you can't change it or it's not easy to
1: i did love that even it was a bit of grandstanding, that Burrell and Rawls did get a bit of dressing down from, from Carcetti in the in the council meeting at the end.
9: What we have here, I'm afraid, is nothing more complicated than a solitary police commander who, under great pressure, proved to be amoral, incompetent, and unfit for command. No. It's about more than that.
4: They don't care about the drug users who've got better lives as a result of Amsterdam they don't care about the police officers who've got better relationships with the communities as a relation as a result of Amsterdam
1: this is Dave Pickering he's a podcaster I'm a huge fan of The Wire.
4: They don't care. It's all about their political needs, their I- issues of power. And ultimately, to let Hamsterdam continue is to lose an ability to control the populace, to have power over the populace. Like, that's why it's taken, because it gives people too much power, too much liberty.
8: Everybody was, was rooting for him to win. Uh, so when he gets knocked down and demoted, um, and then, when you realize the cops don't get that much anyway, so counting on your pension means everything. And uh, when that's taken away, you got nothing after all those years of work.
4: You got nothing. They've got phenomenal evidence of the health value of this. And yet, there's always some bloody right wing politician that wants to close it down because he thinks they're going to get votes out of it, you know. And this is the problem. And, you know, The Wire showed it. It's about, you know, when you have an elected mayor who's got to be re-elected, he's going to get flack from, the, you know, the right-wing middle class if he allows Amsterdam to carry on, so he closes it down. And drug, drug policy right back to the 1960s with Nixon's war on drugs. It's all been driven by politics. It's not been driven by health or by science or by anything other than the need to have people that you can hate so that you can get votes by hurting them
0: bunny colvin sort of presents to us you know the we're all sort of cogs in this machine and so if we can at least hold some measure of integrity and corner off within our areas of responsibility can we sort of do something good and you know so he has these moments within this particular episode of speaking to um, this long-storied career, um, you know, having these moments of doing something good, right? And and Amsterdam was the sort of closing piece on it. Not to have his name up on, uh, you know, on the wall above a conference room, but to have done something, right, to make some street safe, right? Some areas of Baltimore, at least in West Baltimore, safe.
4: But I think what's the thing is, is, he, is a lot of these good things happen quietly, because as soon as they go public, so this is what happened in Britain. We had a we had in Liverpool. We had a really forward-looking, sensible doctor called Marx, John Marks, and he realised that people were dying and they were getting ill from bad, you know, dirty needles, etc. So he started the first, uh, basically, prescribing heroin prescribing clinic, the first kind of public one, revolutionised for several. Years she had hundreds of people coming for their prescriptions and they weren't dying, and it became very famous. But then, um, one day Mrs. Thatcher went and met with Mr. Reagan, and Mr. Reagan said to Mrs. Thatcher, We don't like the fact that you guys are not hard on drugs, and she came back and she closed it down. This is not an intellectual discussion. Last year. Over 4,000 people in Britain died unnecessarily through using drugs. Over half of those deaths were from opiates. Almost all those deaths are preventable. So this is a real issue. It's you know this isn't TV. This isn't art. This is life and death, and we should we should really push for rational policies and honest policies from our politicians. Not let them be sucked into this kind of polemic that we've had for the last 50 years about drugs are immoral.
10: This is more important than who knew what when or who falls on his sword or whether somebody can use this disaster to make a political point or
0: two mr chairman we
10: can forgive major colvin who out of his frustration and despair found himself condoning something which can't possibly be condoned we can't do that much
3: well how did you view that speech by carcetti do you think he was being authentic or was he playing politics
1: i think there was a core of him Believing what he's seen, believing in Bunny Corbin, believing in what the potential was in Amsterdam. Yeah. I think you probably knew in his heart that it wouldn't fly. In in well, with him trying to lead the charge with that as, as a mayor. But I think what enraged him was him knowing a bit behind the scenes and seeing Rawls and Burrell lying blatantly to his face yeah so he I, he just couldn't hold himself back in any way shape or form there
3: even though yeah even though he had been instructed to by his campaign manager, yeah. like gray was supposed to take the wins there yeah to build him up to split the vote yes but essentially he's an, well he announced didn't
1: he without he yeah. all but announced it was it was yeah. i guys i'm gonna be mayor and this <laughs> yeah watch me roar <laughs> gentlemen what we can't
10: forgive what i can't forgive ever is how we, you, me, this administration, all of us, how we turned away from those streets in West Baltimore, the poor, the sick, the swollen underclass of our city trapped in the wreckage of neighborhoods which were once so prized, communities which we failed to defend, which we have surrendered to the horrors of the drug trade.
9: I think that speech comes in the final episode of season three, and and somewhere during the previous episode... Um, Colvin takes me up to Amsterdam, and, you know, there's 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 definitely a genuine, uh, uh, you know, effect that, you know, seeing what, you know, what he showed me um, played directly into that speech. But it was, you know, I think part of it, you know, was coming from the heart and part of it was um, for, was said for where it could get, get me. You know, and I think definitely what I got from it was that it was it was something that was uh, going to surprise the people in that chamber that day, and any press that were present. It was my, you know, push for, um, um I, I guess my real announcement, if you like, um, that I was somebody to be reckoned with.
10: And if this disaster demands anything of us as a city, it demands that we say enough. Enough to the despair which makes policemen even think about surrender. Enough to the fact that these neighborhoods are not saved or are beyond the saving. Enough to this administration's indecisiveness and lethargy. To the garbage which goes uncollected. The lots and row houses which stay vacant. The addicts who go untreated. The working men and women who every day are denied a chance at economic freedom.
9: When you watch it, it seems, it's it looks like, you know, I'm not reading it. I just, I find the opportune moment and just jump in there. And it was something that I I, I had tried to do with Kerketti, um in performance of those bigger speeches. There's a few of them to make him feel like they were being said, you know, just off the cuff. You know, we're all, all quite familiar with uh politicians making long off-the-cuff speeches uh, nowadays with mixed results. Um, But, you know, I I wanted it to certainly feel as if this guy was clever enough to be able to spontaneously uh, take advantage of a situation and, you know, a clever, a clever user of words and emotion. Um,
10: but it's, it's a, it's a, there's an opportunism to it. Enough to the crime, which every day chokes more and more of the life from our city. And the thing of it is, if we don't take responsibility and step up, not just for the mistakes and the miscues, but for whether or not we're going to win this battle for our streets, if that doesn't happen... We're going to lose these neighbourhoods and ultimately this city.
7: I think Carcetti is your archetypal politician who gets into it with grand ideas of making a difference, of doing something that no one else has done, of being the guy who can sort it out. That sort of, frankly, arrogance uh, that you need to go into politics in some way. And then along the way, that gets eroded and corrupted in so many tiny moments and in so many ways that you're never quite sure whether whether you should root for him or not you're never quite sure how much of that idealism is going to survive and certainly in this season he doesn't exactly cover himself in glory um because he does go for the political win and not maybe what's kind of best and and that's what we have that's the, that's the society we're in we have a, a I think, a, a system that is set up to reward politicians who respond to public opinion, rather than trying to lead or shape or educate public opinion. Um, and, and we, we deserve Carchettis, we deserve the res, you know these compromised guys that we get as a result in a best case scenario, which obviously we haven't had in a few years.
10: If we don't have the courage and the conviction to fight this war the way it should be fought, the way it needs to be fought, using every weapon that we can possibly muster, if that doesn't happen well then we're staring at defeat and that defeat should not and cannot and will not be forgiven
3: it, it's a huge it's a big a passionate address that you it's it's familiar you get you we've seen that from politicians Mm. and in that moment he's the most like he is mayoral and and he he wins the room there's a round of applause and it's the kind of thing that uh in real life you see politicians win elections with that that with that kind of thing but what david simon says is that the actually what he's talking about if you listen to his words it's he's preaching the same old bullshit like it's not he he he's delivers it with p- a passion conviction, and yeah. conviction mm-hmm. but like he's actually just not really saying anything he's he's not com- coming down on the side of the thing that was working it's more of the same as what he's peddling he's saying but more of the same but harder <laughs> right no we've got to be more firm on the drug dealers we've got to protect our communities but it's like but how
1: But how yeah he's not offering solutions just giving people more problems yeah um cutty Cutty, Cutty, cutty. dennis curry wise i mean as i said at the start of the season he's him and bunny two of my favorite characters ever in a while and, and another reason why i love season three because this is you know his season and he's grown a lot it's it's a big thing for for a man to be institutionalized come out try and rejoin the system as you knew it things have changed but also you don't know anything else but then ultimately to leave that kind of weird safety net that you have. So I love the fact that he's you know he's trying to do things, he's trying to move his life forward, he's trying to give kids a, a better chance in life.
3: Yeah and he yeah it's oh, it's just like him and Bunny are the heart of this season in many ways. Like you just your heart bleeds for them. There I just I love cutty So yeah. I keep saying that but it's just like <laughs> it's just a s it's so rare in this show to get a success story isn't yeah. it? And we you go on a real journey with Cuddy and you're just rooting for him every step of the way. And he kind of comes he comes clean at the end of this and makes something. And is making a difference in the community and the local level. So, you know, we talked a lot about, like, uh, Stringer and Bunny mm-hmm. being these agents of change and trying to find the middle ground and trying to fix everything. And they're doing that at, like, the top level and, like, just trying to move giant Titanic-sized objects. Yeah. But Cutty is kind of doing the same thing, but like on a personal level, isn't he? Like he enacted a change in himself and the way that he was fitting into this game mm. without changing the game. Because you can't change the game. So he just took himself off the board. Yeah. Whilst <laughs> still...
1: This little pawn's kind of hop. <laughs> kind of is. <laughs> and
3: now he's playing his own game over yeah, here exactly. with boxing. He's <laughs> hopped into the boxing. But he's like... But he hasn't, like, he's still in there. Mm. Like, he still talks to Avon. He gets money. He still connected. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and he's, as we see in this episode, he he hasn't escaped the game. The, the, his pupils haven't escaped no. the game. They, but it's a fact of life. And they say to him, you know, it, they're back to business. Back to business as usual. They're back out in the corners. And they say to him, we'll be there at 3.30. 30. Right? Which is, uh, it is it is a success in a way. It's, yeah. it's a compromise. Like, Cuddy yeah. found a compromise. He's found a way to live within the game and to kind of make life that little bit better for himself and the people who
1: play Yeah. yeah. What a great guy.
0: Oh, you've been on a fast train, and it's going off the rail, and you can't come back. Can't
1: come back again. One of the things we I always love is the end of seasons montage.
3: Yeah, I, lo- I love the track they used in in this one.
1: It was um, Fast Train, Solomon Burke, Fast Train. It's
3: a nice format point. Of yeah. The wire, like the wire, doesn't really have many format points no. in, in a way, um, but it's nice that they do this at the end of every season. Yeah. And I guess the only time you get uh, a, a music track I mean, or yeah. choice unless it's on the radio or something the, yeah the only yeah.
1: guaranteed time you, you get that um we see colvin he doesn't get his his job um security again so it that impacts his life further down the line he doesn't get his mayor sorry he doesn't get his major mm-hmm. uh, pension and he doesn't get that other job because obviously he's been in Embroiled in in this, you know, home. that's just uh, that's giving drugs so away. So shitty. Yeah, uh,
3: the, that's kicking a man when he's down. That yeah. Burrell went to the effort to make that phone call Stop to really no screw him over. Way. Just really sh- sh-
5: piss Ain't me off. And
0: in this particular case, Baltimore is choosing to not um, engage in. Um, enforcing low level crimes. And when they, and since they've been doing that, especially, um, in the midst of COVID-19 property crime has dropped by 36%. There's been 13 fewer homicides in the city than in any previous year. There's been a 39% more, you know, fewer people, um, are in the criminal justice system. There are all these data points and this is interesting for, uh, a criminal justice system that still uses CompStat, that's built upon broken windows policing. Um, the idea of lower level crime is where you're supposed to put enforcement to somehow stop major crime, which was never proven to be a, um, a wise choice of action. And it, ends up, and it ended up over criminalizing certain communities. So now in this particular case, it's like a corrective measure that should have happened a long, long time ago. Um, but that's not, of course, the nature and history of policing as we know it in the first place anyway.
4: And
0: we see,
1: I guess, a nice ending for McNulty, in a way. He changes his life a bit. Well, we, yeah. there's two things happen here. He catches up with um, Beardy Russell.
3: Yeah, this is a nice scene, isn't mm. it? This is, and this is where McNulty... We've seen McNulty... The beginning of this episode very sad, uh self-reflective. Yeah. Slow zoom in. He's like he's hollow. What's the what's the analogy he says to B.D.? He's like poured everything into a glass and it came at the bottom and he just keeps pouring. But the Yeah, this is a man who I think the the Stringer Bell's death is the best thing that could have happened to McNulty. Yeah. Um what kind of
1: kind of sets him free.
3: Exactly. Yeah, he's liberated. Yeah. He and he's then Thinking, what the hell have I been doing all this time? And and you tie that in with what Freeman said to him a few episodes ago. This is a man who is addicted to that job in a in an unhealthy way. Mm. And now he's taken a step back. And I think that move into the Western is just good for him. Like, yeah. the, the smile, the man smiling Absolutely. at the end, swinging his truncheon around, <laughs> <laughs> cracking jokes. Yeah. Well, Andy, and it's a nice tie in because he's talking to. Uh, or he's, he's interacting with people sitting on the on their the doorstep. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's, it's nice to see that, and um, yeah, bringing Santangelo there with a with a brief with a brief, yeah little brief cameo glimpse. But um, hopefully, McNaughty is good. We're not going to tell you what happens, guys. You have got to stay tuned to the Wire Strip <laughs> Season Four. But yeah, hopefully, you know, he comes good and it's all works out for him. But he seems like he's on a path of recovery in some way, shape, or form.
6: Yeah, and of course, at the end of the series, he ends up going back and sort of mending fences with with BD because finally it seems finally he realises that he's just wasting his his life and you know he he realises I think in that moment with Teresa what he does to people and how he uses people even when in terms of the morality of his work he's trying to do Good things.
0: On
2: Going
5: nowhere.
3: That's it, here we are. We are at the end of season three. Thank you, Colby. It's been a it's been a blast.
1: It's been an absolute blast, and I'm excited for Season 4. Dave, when's Season 4 going to (laughs) land?
3: Thanks. Oh, my God. Absolutely landed me in it. Uh, I'm very excited (laughs) to say that the I have no idea. We don't have a date now, guys, but just bear with us. We promise it's not going to be as long a wait as last time. That was due to uh, us having multiple kids back-to-back. Uh, <laughs> there was a lot of, lot of personal stuff happening. Then a pandemic happened. Um, but we are going to mobilize on season four as quickly as we can. Just head over to our uh, social accounts, if you're not already there, at The Wire Stripped. And you can badger us uh, for when season four is going to uh, come out on a constant basis. And we'll, we'll, we'll be the first to know there. Or you can head over to our uh, Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash the wire stripped uh, where we're keeping the keeping the vibe going and we'll continue to drop uh fun bits of content and interviews as we go
1: i think one thing we can say is that we do have at least three of the four boys of summer um recorded for season four uh i'm not going to tell you which ones have been recorded so far so um we're well on the way with season four this is not this is not this is not, yeah, sorry, this is not a drill. We are we are doing this. <laughs> yes,
3: it is happening. It, we, yeah. it, it, we are coming back. And also, to answer a few questions we got while we were off, we're going all the way, guys. We're going to the end of Season 5, no yeah. matter how long it takes us. <laughs> um so look thank you all for listening this season as always look we we massively appreciate uh your support and love talking to you guys um through the various channels if you want to email us as well you can at uh, producers at the so one more time let's uh let's play us out here's the credits thank you as always to martin and sam from the song by song podcast for uh, the awesome cover of Way Down in the Hole that they've done for us.
1: Yeah, thanks uh, this season very much to Simon Devereux for his artwork uh, that he supplied. You can find him at Noodles, D-E-V-Z, noodles, on Instagram.
3: And a huge thank you to uh, a new vital member of the Wire Stripped team, uh, for season three, Obi Joshua, you absolute legend! You, this season would not be here without his.
1: Genuinely, would not have happened. Seriously, he, we'd yeah. still be
3: trying to pull our finger out. He, he absolutely <laughs> has been essential to getting this out. So thank you, Obi.
1: Yeah. Uh, cheers to Ben Williams as well, who's been instrumental in getting the season across the line with his editing support.
3: And the other person who this cannot happen without is. Tom Wally, the man who pulls all these pieces together makes the wire strip sound as good as it does uh, and he's just an absolute killer producer, editor I, I could just gush about this guy for ages <laughs> Tom Wally is a dude and stripped media legend
1: Cheers Tom, absolutely Well um, guys, look forward to season 4 and um, seeing you then
3: And thank you to you, Kobe. Oh, Thank you, and thank you yeah. to you, Dave yeah thanks thanks to us
1: (laughs) in fact what I just thought is um, before we go before we go we will uh, as I said on our Patreon feed we will be uh, at least once a month putting out um, the full interviews on the Patreon feed but what we'll do is put a few teasers like 10-15 minutes of the full interviews on here as well so at least once a month you'll get something from us uh, just to keep you keep reminding you that we we still exist and also to get a little taster of what's happening over at Patreon. WMD's <laughs> Pandemic. Oh, that's, yeah, I, I need to use a different one this Yeah, day that one's age. no good anymore. Yeah. All
3: that right. Thank good. you, everyone.
1: Yeah. We'll see you soon. Bye.
6: You just heard a stripped
2: media production.